I'm especially glad to be getting back into the book of Exodus with you guys. If you've been here, which most of you have, uh, we've been plowing through this Old Testament book and seeing what it shows us about God and seeing what it shows us about salvation and uh, eternal life with God. And uh, what we've seen in the book of Exodus is that um, it's all based on a promise. Uh, It's rooted in history. So it's dating all the way back to when God promised his people that he would use them to save the world. And he promised his people that he would do that by bringing them to a good land. And that would be kind of the first step in how God was going to bless the whole world. And where God took them along the way is slavery in Egypt, and they were there for 400-some years, and then God comes and rescues them from slavery through Moses, and we looked at how he did that and uh, brought them uh, into the wilderness now, which is where our passage picks up. So God's people were enslaved, and they were rescued in dramatic fashion, and where they are now is wandering. God doesn't bring them straight to the land. He brings them into the wilderness. So uh, we, and for a change today, we have a nice short passage to read. So, just seven verses, uh, Exodus chapter 17. Uh, when it says sin, in verse 1, is when it says wilderness of sin, that's a place name. That's not like our word for sin, just to clear that up. Okay. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And so Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful that you have provided us with it to uh, know you better. Uh, You've provided us with a way to know you and your heart. And we pray that we would know some of that tonight as we look at this short passage. Uh, Be among us, uh, applying it to our heart. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Over the last few weeks, I've been following the story of a woman named Kara Tippetts, who's a pastor's wife in Colorado. And Kara Tippetts has a really unique story because a while back she was diagnosed with cancer. And for a long time now, she has known she's going to die soon. She's young. She's like, she's a mother of four small kids, very young. And she's known for a while, like she's on her way to death, and she's dealt with that in a really unique way. And one of the ways is that she wrote a book about what it's like to know you're going to die and how to face suffering with hope and how to suffer well 
as a Christian. And I, um, in her book, she says this about her struggle. She says, in the depths of my illness, I've been able to set aside my striving and look for God's presence in my suffering. My season of weakness has taught me the joy of receiving, the strength of brokenness, and the importance of looking for God in each moment. Stripped of my ability, I saw Jesus in a new and profound way. I wonder what happens to you and what happens between you and God when your life takes a turn for the worse or when your life takes a turn for the uncertain or when you don't get what you want. Oops. If you're like me, things can go sour pretty quickly between you and God when something like that, you know, when our life hits crisis mode or when our life hits depression mode. And a lot of the ways we tend to react are anger with God and we say, you know, God, how could you? Or we start to doubt God and we say, God cannot be real. And if he's real, then he's mean. Because look at my life. Look at what I'm going through right now. If God is real, he must be mean. And that's basically the place where the Israelites are in our passage. Uh, They've been freed from slavery and they've been promised blessing from God, but what they've known up to the, for the most recent, in the most recent years is wilderness wandering, and now what they know is thirst. Uh, it's a people that are thirsty, and what I want to look at in our passage is what God shows his people about himself and what he shows us about himself that can become the basis for us living a life like Kara's Tippett's. Uh, for approaching suffering and pain in the way that she approaches it. And so what we're going to see in our passage is the patience of God, the surprisingness of God, and the justice of God. So first of all, what we're going to see is the patience of God. Uh, This is God's people are moving on in the wilderness. They're kind of being led by God from place to place, and they end up at this place where there's no water, and it says they quarrel with Moses. And That word quarreling, uh, you see it in verse 2. When we think of quarreling, we think of like a tussle. I don't know, what do you guys think of when you think, like, I think of kind of like a a small fight or something like that, you know. It's kind of an old-fashioned word. Uh, But uh, in in verse 7, we see that the place name, Meribah, it means quarreling. Like, the place gets named quarreling. And that word in Hebrew, this was originally written in Hebrew, and in Hebrew it's more of like a formal word. It's more of like a, it's a word of like trial, like putting someone on trial. It's, a, it's like bringing a charge against someone or like starting legal proceedings. That's like a word you would use for that. And so what's going on here is that God's people have had enough and they decide like, we're going to put Moses on trial right here. Let's just settle this. Like it's a standoff between them and Moses. And you know, another reason we know that is because they, Moses says to God later, he says, like, help, they're about to stone me. And, like, stoning was the way you killed, like, punished people back then. Like, if, so, if there was a criminal, the punishment handed down was usually something like stoning. So it's, a, it's like a legal kind of standoff trial moment. And Moses says, uh, you know, God, he says, you're actually putting God on trial which is just an important reminder for us when we complain about our circumstances. Um, 
if we believe as we do that God controls all things and is in control of the world, then as we complain and as we uh, become bitter at our circumstances, there's a sense in which that complaint goes all the way to the top, to God. And Moses brings that out here. And he says, what am I to do with these people, God? I've had it with them. But did you notice in this passage that God's patience doesn't seem to be at an end at all? Like, God doesn't say one word about, like, these people, Moses, you're right. Uh, And his actions, like, what does God do? He says, provide water for them. Here's how you're going to do it. Uh, He meets their needs without saying a word about their complaining. I wonder if any of you have seen the movie Kindergarten Cop. Old movie, Arnold Schwarzenegger. There's there's no reason you should have because it's a dumb movie. But it's from 1990, so like when I was a kid, it was like one of those movies that was always on like TBS or something like that. And the Kindergarten Cop has Arnold Schwarzenegger in it as a undercover cop. And so the plot of that movie is that him and his partner, who's a woman, are un- going undercover in this town because there's this drug dealer uh, who has an ex-wife and son in that town, and they're trying to get information about this drug dealer, and so they decide, like, Arnold's partner is going to go undercover as a kindergarten teacher in this kid's class. And the night before she's supposed to start, she gets, like, really, really sick and can't go in, and so she says... Arnold Schwarzenegger, you're going to have to be the substitute kindergarten teacher. And so, you know, it's a ridiculous plot, right? Arnold Schwarzenegger teaching kindergartners, and he's totally horrible. Like, he starts off, and he's so bad at it, and the kids, kindergartners are crazy, and they're, like, whining and stuff. And so, in that movie, all Arnold Schwarzenegger can think to, they're all, like, running around and being like, and he just goes, stop whining! (laughs) That's all he can think to do. His patience is at an end. Um, What a picture of what God is not like. If you want a picture of what God is not like, he is not like Arnold Schwarzenegger standing in front of a group of rowdy kindergartners saying, stop whining. And we see it in this passage. His patience isn't just like tolerance, like, oh, I guess I'll just put up with... Like, his patience is active. And he goes so far, he takes people that he should reject and he meets their needs instead. I wonder if your life feels like a wilderness experience or if you feel like maybe God has led you into a place of no water where you don't know how you're going to be provided for. Um, If you're in that situation, what you need to know first and foremost before anything is that God is patient even with you. He will bear with you in the wilderness. Um, And in what we've seen, if you've been here the last several weeks, we've seen that God's constantly giving his people what they need, even as they complain. And it's almost like laughable. Like the last few weeks at RUF, it's like the same story. God's people are like, did you lead us into the wilderness to die? Like totally forgetting that like God parted the Red Sea to get them out of there in the first place. Like, of course God can handle anything. Um, and it's like if you read through Exodus you're like this is almost unrealistic because of how often the people complain Uh, what we need to see is that this probably took place over many many years so like you know this complaining episode might have been like 20 years after the last complaining episode Uh, but for the people 
you know, even if they lived through the time when God provided food for them, or even if they lived through the time when God parted the Red Sea for them, in that moment, God's help always just seems long ago, far away. It's not real to me now. Um, and it's a mirror for our own hearts. I mean, what if we could have a bird's eye? So this is a bird's eye view of God's people over many, many years. You know, what if we could have that kind of view of our own life? What would we see? Um, a way to think about it in terms of your own situation is like how often when you're criticized, do you remember it forever? But if you're complimented, you forget it like the next day. Or, you know, how often does a failure stick with you like when we don't even remember our successes? Um, or an unanswered, how often does an unanswered prayer stick with you compared to lots of answered prayers? Uh, in other words, we remember God when things suck. We're like, God, you're supposed to help me. But when things are good, we're really quick to forget. And we're just like, we're just like these people and we're always freaking out about our situation. And what we need to hear first and foremost is that maybe God's as patient with us as he is with them. Like these people show us what complaining really is, and they show us what lack of faith really is. And maybe we're like them, and he's just as patient with us. And if you know that, that's the first step in being able to approach suffering in difficult circumstances with hope and with confidence. So that's the patience of God. And the next thing I want to look at is the surprisingness of God. Um, if this were depicted as a movie, like if this were a scene in a movie, it would be a really suspenseful scene. Like the people are rising up against Moses. Plus in the backdrop is there's like all these thirsty people, like they're literally thinking, how am I going to get, like, I'm feeling thirsty. Like I'm not going to, I don't know where water is going to come from. Uh, you can picture people maybe like scrambling, you know, trying to fight Moses while some might be like digging to find water. And God says, you know where you're going to find water? Strike the rock. Strike this rock. In other words, God provides water from the most unlikely, surprising place you would ever find water. The top of a rock. Um, the hardest place is where God's grace actually comes from. Um, in this case, from the rock, from the wilderness. Um, in the wilderness, so if you think about wilderness experiences that we face, all the sources of water, the places where we think we're going to be fed and nourished, dry up. And what happens in those situations and in those moments is that you're forced to get water from God instead. You get really, really thirsty and God can make that a good thing if where that takes you is to him. Um, if the end result is that God, you know, if, if the end result of your wilderness experience and your struggle and your difficult situation is that you know God more in the end, if you rely on God more in the end, then God's saying anything is worth it. Anything, for God, anything is worth making you beautiful. For God, even the hardest experience is making you, is worth making you into the person he wants you to be. 
Um, Tim Keller, who I quote all the time, says it perfectly. He says, you never know that God's all you need until he's all you have. And that's where God's bringing his people into this, in, in this, he's bringing his people to that point in this episode. And um, the difficult part is they don't understand what's going on, right? Um, and you guys remember like the first time you really got in trouble as a kid? For me, the first time I got in trouble, I think I was, like, that I can really remember, like, serious trouble was that I must have been, like, seven or eight years old, and I was getting ready to go to school in the morning. I rode the bus to school at that time, and I was getting ready to leave, and I was walking, I said goodbye to my mom, walking out the door, and my mom said, did you brush your teeth? And I said, yep, and I walked out, and I, had, I just lied flat out to my mom. And, you know, moms are really good at knowing that, and, you know, there's the old test where you can check to see if the toothbrush is wet or dry, which my mom did, and it was obviously dry. And so I got home that day, and my pl- I had a kid on my street who I was really good friends with, and two of our really good friends were going over there to play. I wanted to be in on that. And uh, so I went home, and I was getting ready to head over to my friend's house to play, and my mom confronted me about lying to her. She said, you know, I know, I know you didn't brush your teeth. You lied to me. And so you're not going to go over and play. And I was devastated. Like, this was, you know, when you're that, like, if you miss out on a chance to hang out with three of your best friends when you're that young, like, devastating, right? Um, and I didn't understand it. But I want you to think about, like, discipline from someone who loves you. So this is a God that loves his people. It's not like... He's not neutral toward his people. He loves his people. And, you know, think about a parent that loves you, disciplining you like my mom did to me. And what my mom knows, knew at the time, was that that short-term devastation of missing that time with my friends was well, well worth the damage that could be caused if I grew up to be a liar. Like, my mom knew that if you grow up to be a liar, you just don't have friends anymore. Now, I want you to think about, you know, the gap between me, my wisdom at age seven or eight, and my mom's at that time was pretty big. But, you know, the gap between our wisdom and God's wisdom about life and what we need to endure is so much greater. We are much further behind God's wisdom than I was of my mom's wisdom at that time. Um, so instead of, you know, as you face trials, as God brings you into situations where it's difficult to obey, instead of saying, you know, God couldn't possibly work, this situation is, God could never work in this circumstance, uh, it's too bad, it's too horrible, what this passage is saying is that what we need to learn to say is, maybe this is exactly the kind of rocky situation that God can bring water from in my life. Maybe this is exactly the place where I need to be, and maybe God will take me through. Um, But, you know, I gave you a really silly example just now, right? Like, the childhood thing is really silly, and we face a lot worse situations. You know, what if, you know, what if I really can't, what if I really, really can't see how it's going to work out? Or what if I know that for a fact that this situation is just not going to work out in my life? Like, I'm never going to see it work out 
um, you know, situations like when parents get sick and die, which happens a lot, which I've seen happen a lot at UConn. Um, what if, you know, I had this plan for my life and now it's just totally impossible? It's done. Can't do it. Uh, what if I've made a mistake that I will definitely have to live with forever? Like, how can God, you know, what about that stuff? And that's where we get into the final uh, thing about God that we're going to look at tonight, which is his justice. So we've seen his patience. And we've seen his surprisingness, how he brings grace in surprising situations. And what we finally see and what this passage is really about is his justice. Because uh, it's a trial, right? Moses has been put on trial. And Moses has said to his people, like, what you're actually doing is putting God on trial in this moment. And so in response, God tells Moses, I want you to take the staff that you used to judge in the plagues, Moses used his staff to bring judgment on Egypt. You know, it's a symbol of authority of judgment. And uh, he says, "Take the staff and bring these elders with you as witnesses." And and he says, "Like here, if you want a trial, here's the real trial." He's talking to his people. If you want a trial, here's the real trial. And the, you know, we, this is shocking because Moses is holding the staff instead of God. Moses holds the judgment staff. And so we know it's not a trial of Moses. And Moses walks right through the people. And, um, you know, the people are, st- are all looking on. So that it's not Moses that's not on trial. It's not the people that's on trial. Instead, in verse 6, God says, I will stand before you. And that word, stand before you, is like the way you would stand before, like, a judge. Like, it's the type of standing before when you're the lowly person and there's, like, someone who can, like, hammer a gavel and give your fate. And instead of us standing before God, he says, I will stand before you. God is on trial here. God is standing in a place where a prisoner gets tried and gets executed. And he says, and you, I'll, stand on the, I'll stand before you on the rock and you shall strike the rock. In other words, he's saying, bring down justice on me. When you and me, there's a lot of horrible things that we experience in life, and it's really tempting to blame God for our circumstances. And uh, what we've seen, you know, what Moses shows is that it's actually pretty messed up of us to do that, but it's just what we do. Like, we blame God when things go wrong. But how does God respond us when we put him on trial he should you know God should just smack the people and instead he says strike me instead and what we've seen almost every week in Exodus is that the book of Exodus is always looking ahead to Jesus some 1500 years later And what we see when Jesus comes, you know, the culmination of this story that we're in in Exodus is that it leads to the place where God enters the world himself as Jesus, and he comes, and what he does is he does go on trial, actually. Like, the God of the universe goes on trial before, like, the descendants of these people, and he actually does get struck with rods, And as he dies, he even says, I thirst. 
And here's, here's kind of where the rubber meets the road, right? If, for our situation, like if there's no judge, we're all just screwed. Like if there's no judge, what that means is that like life just sucks and it's never going to be good. Like, there's horrible situations in our life that will never be made right. That's the situation if there's no judge. Uh, wrongs will never be righted. But if there is a judge, we should all be screwed. Because we're all like these people. We're all like Israel. But the surprising and just way that God works to save his people is he says, strike me instead. For the way that God surprises us and then remains just as he says, you know, why don't, why doesn't the judge, get, I'll, I'm the judge and I'll get judged instead. And it happens. Like when Jesus comes, God's people, Israel, do exactly what they wanted to do to Moses in this story. They put him to death. And that death is, you know, that's the rock where water truly flows from in our lives. There is no source that you could ever draw from that will quench more than that source, that rock, the cross of Christ. Uh, God can bring water from the rock. He ultimately brought water from the rock, and because of that, he can bring water from the rock in your life. Uh, We don't always get answers when we want them, but what we do get is a God who enters into our hurt, because he was hurt. He enters into our confusion. He enters into our disappointment. He enters into our suffering, and he gets the worst of all of it. Uh, He gets struck by that staff of God so that you and me, through him, could never, will never have to get struck. If that's the God you know, if you know that patient and surprising and just God, the judge who allows himself to take our judgment, then what that means about your wilderness experience is that it can only make you more beautiful. Your wilderness, if you know that God, your wilderness experience can only make you stronger. It can only make you the kind of compassionate person that other people need when they're in the wilderness. And so that's, that, I'll close by making that our prayer for us tonight, that God would make us that kind of people as we go through the wilderness together. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that this is who you are, and we're thankful that you show us and remind us in your word. Uh, in this room, there's a, a lot of different situations, and there's a, you know, some of us came here tonight uh, excited to be here, and some of us are pretty worn down and barely made it here, and uh, some of us are somewhere in between. And uh, We pray that uh, wherever you have us, that you would make people that make us into people Uh, that know you and are able to trust you because we've seen how good you really are, how gracious you can be with people like us. Uh, We pray that that would be our story. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.